Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast. With me, Martin Johnson. And me, Spencer Locker. We love it. We absolutely love it. So um, we we want to sort of jump on and we want to do a bit of an off-the-cuff thing. Me and Spencer was talking recently in the office and I said, Spencer, why don't you just, we'll go in cold and you can just pick a topic, <laughs> uh, challenge me, yeah. ask a question and, uh, and I'll give it my best shot and we'll yeah. just debate it. So I'm pretty nervous. Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be, shouldn't be, because you know your you know your stuff, don't you? Well, this is, <clears throat> this is the ultimate. Do you know your shit podcast? Yeah, or, or is it just all smoke and mirrors? Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's gonna it's gonna be an easy one. This one. I, I, when I say easy, I mean obviously there's, there's it's relative. But what what I what I think because I mean I think ultimately um, at some stage in the near future, I'd like to actually sit you down and do a proper interview. Ask you things about your motivators and your your views on things and and why you do what you do and all all yeah. just getting past the I'm Martin Johnson all born and bred bit <laughs> just get, just going a little bit deeper than that. But what we're going to do today, what I'd like to do today is is, is talk to you about a concept that um, it's probably not an alien concept, but it's it's the it's the name that you gave it. Right. That, that really sort of prompted my curiosity. You got me thinking now. <laughs> <laughs> what I'd like to ask you, well, no, no more fluffing. What I'd like to ask you is about this canteen effect that you talk about. The canteen effect. Yeah. So what's that all about then? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if, I, if I remember rightly, I used the term canteen effect when we were talking about the importance of developing a social ecosystem within a business or within a department or an organization. Okay, so so what what do you mean before we go on to the canteen effect then? What do you mean by social ecosystem? So for, for me a social ecosystem is as a business, as an organization, yes, you do what you do. You provide the products or services you provide, you transact what you do with customers, you deliver what you do to customers. And internally there's a whole lot of process and a whole lot of uh, and the systems and there's all all sorts of stuff that you need to be able to do to deliver that. So it can be quite a um, an operational, task-based, transactional yeah. environment. So a social ecosystem for me is, is when you do all of those things really well as a business, mm. but you are also providing an environment yeah. in the workplace for human beings, for your employees, mm. to be able to connect with other people to build meaningful relationships with others mm. and therefore come together socially as a group and as a collective, yeah. uh, which then will hopefully increase rapport, increase trust, increase collaboration, and without a shadow of a doubt, it will deliver greater results for the business. So so when you say social ecosystem, it is directly related to an ecosystem in the sense that you've got a number of diverse elements, a number of different um entities working together to maintain and ultimately improve their situation yeah and i think you always when we talked about this and i know you've done some work on the hub if people want to if we want to signpost people to the um you know to the section where you've done a little bit on this already i think it's is it the well-being section that's right yeah so in the well-being section we've we've talked about the importance of a social ecosystem uh, and you always used to describe it as like a reef 
Yeah. Yeah. A, a barrier reef or a coral reef. Yes. Yeah. So you've got the diverse elements working together. They've all got different strengths. They've all got different things that they can do really well. And 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 where they've got a weakness, there's usually something else there that can cover that weakness. Mm. So they all work together in harmony. Because yeah. I suppose it is harmonization. Yeah. And it's in a sympathetic environment. Yeah. So you're maintaining and improving that environment, which you can really sort of transpose that across onto a business guy, which you have done. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 therefore it's it sort of this concept of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And in the best organizations we work with and the and the great places to work and the the, organi- the businesses that tend to flourish, um, they do go out of their way to provide a great ecosystem and, and, and allow their employees to work in an environment where they can build rapport, when mm. they ca- where they can collaborate. Mm. And in effect, they are avoiding creating what we call siloed behavior or yeah. siloed teams okay. where it's us and you. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to think about this as, as managers and leaders. So I yeah. think that's that's the explanation around a social ecosystem. But mm. I think coming back to the canteen effect, yeah. um, I use it as a way of, of giving you an example of how you can do this, how you mm. can foster a social ecosystem. And it stems back to a personal experience I had at an organization called Gartner. And Gartner was a, a global company. It was a wonderful company. And I was based out of I was based in the north of England, but I was reporting into the head office in Egham. And in, in the head office, it was like four stories, a four-story building, and there was different teams and levels and departments on every floor. But right at the bottom of the the building was you used to scan your badge and enter into the building. And on the ground floor was like a, um, you know, a, a canteen. Mm. It was a coffee shop. Um, and... So what would happen is you'd scan your badge, you'd go in in the morning, the first thing everyone would do would straight through and hit the morning coffee. And you'd queue up for your coffee. It was it was an area where it had comfy seating and pods and different spaces for people to go and, you know, catch up or, or socialise or whatever it might be. And do you know what? I built more relationships in that coffee queue and in that, uh, and in that area than any other place in the building, than mm. any meeting room on any conference call, or whatever it might be, I I used to go and grab my coffee in the morning and the regional vice president would be stood behind me. And I'd never see this guy usually. Mm. And you'd, how are you doing, Martin? Yeah, how are you doing? And we'd, 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 we'd exchange and we'd build relationships. And, and you know, it, it sort of created a hub, a central hub where people met and people interacted and people built rapport and got to know each other. And what happened then very quick after or very quickly after is people stopped using the meeting rooms and stopped going to meet people in their departments and their offices and say, why don't we meet downstairs in the Costa? Hmm. Other coffee uh, brands are available. <laughs> <laughs> but why don't we go downstairs and grab a coffee in the comfy seats and we'll yeah. have our meeting there? So it just became this thriving hub for people across the business. There was lots of it. And bearing in mind, there's four and a half thousand employees in this hmm. organization. Yeah. It, it just became this central hub where people could, um, you know, come together, socialize, have meaningful and productive uh, meetings, and it just worked. Yeah. So I guess my term, the canteen effect, is it might not be a canteen, hmm. but what is it for you? What are you doing as a business to foster an environment and allow people to come together in that type of fashion? Right, right. And to be honest with you, um, I came across a similar situation um, down at Tesco uh, in Welling Garden City, a very similar situation. Mm. Um, but, okay, fair enough then. So so we're, we're talking, bearing in mind we work with 
multinational companies. Yeah. Uh, but we also work with smaller local companies as well. So uh, you started talking about then it doesn't have to be a canteen. It doesn't have to be this big thing. Um, and when you start talking about multinational companies, you talk about larger um global businesses mm. um that might be something that they it wouldn't really be a big issue for them to implement something like this however when you start talking about smaller businesses local more, more local businesses can you sort of sort of explain or, or sort of visualize possibly what they could do rather than yeah build a canteen yeah and if you're thinking <clears throat> yeah good question if you're thinking about a social ecosystem you've got to um you've got to think about how we can allow our employees to build meaningful relationships yeah. in the business. How, and also how can we connect with them as the leadership team and yeah. as, as, as the board or the business owners or whatever it might be. So I think you've got a physical element hmm. and then you've got a, a relationship element. So if, if you look at the physical element, what can companies do who maybe aren't blessed with six floors of <laughs> office yeah. space and, and, a, and a costa yeah. at the bottom of the uh of, of, of the building well think about the physical element you know the the space so off the use of office space is quite mm. interesting to me so we go into organizations don't we where it's very uh tunnely and very it's like a warren yeah you go down corridors you've got offices uh, you know individual offices on, on either side lots of small meeting rooms mm. every team sits in a different area of the business mm. which is separated by doors and walls yeah that is not um overly um it doesn't lend itself mm. to social interaction and collaboration yeah and and actually it starts to create the site from a physical perspective mm. create siloed behavior not saying it's wrong but mm. that's some some of the office spaces people are uh, you know have to operate yeah. in yeah but what can you do you know on the contrary we go to other pe- other offices where it's a completely open plan mm. um and yes, the modern day world is to try and promote open plan working space or hot desking, or you come in, you move around, and you, and you you know, and you create a buzz, and you can. And there's a it does it does contribute to a social ecosystem, um, but then it's sort of if you're completely open plan, you're not catering for certain people in the business who need some yeah. private space. Yeah, we always talk about introverts. Mm. Introverts in your business won't thrive in an open plan office space. Yeah. Uh, are surrounded by extroverts who are very loud and brash, right? Yeah, yeah. They need thinking time, personal space, headspace. They need to complete a drawing or if they've got a very technical role or whatever it might be. So, you know, neither extremes cater for social ecosystems mm. to, to work effectively. I think the middle ground and the balance is what we advise. Try and try and at least do what you can within the office space you have to mm. have a level of open plan collaborative, collaborative space. Yeah. But you still need some private office space yeah. for the people who need it most, mm. or for private confidential conversations, yeah. or for the introvert who wants to lock themselves away and, and, and get on for a morning. Yeah. And I think that's what we observe as <clears throat> what smaller businesses can do. Yeah. And it could be just mo- removing a wall or two, yeah, opening up a, a, a bit of a space, bringing two teams together who need to collaborate more, whatever it might be. And that links really well into the discussions that we have about, again, the social ecosystem. So you've got the diverse elements, the different people doing different jobs, different responsibilities, but they're all working in harmony um, towards the same goal. But they can only work in harmony if they're working in a sympathetic environment. Yeah. So that sympathetic environment, as we've just talked about there, um, could be physical. Um, but when we start talking about the, the physicality, we don't limit it to the physicality, do we? We also link it to the culture. Yeah. 
And that sympathetic environment is something that leaders and managers can create Absolutely. where we're talking from a cultural point of view. Yeah. So, for example, um, uh, we've talked in Pathways on the Hub about FBI's, family-based initiatives. Mm. So if you want to engage your employees and you want to create more of a social uh, side to to the employee's experience, then you know, we're a bit behind on this. If you look at uh, Eastern culture over the years, like Indian culture and Japanese and Chinese culture, they uh, they make far more of an effort to engage the direct family members of the employee than we do in the Western world. Yeah. It's been it's well known uh, previously in Indian culture that if you go for an interview with a company, your quite often your mother, father, wife, or husband will be sat in the interview. Mm. It's as much their decision as it is yours. Yeah, and and you know. It's also common sort of culture and known that if you're in, for example, uh, Far Eastern culture, mm. uh, say you're in Japan and your father worked for 30 years for a car manufacturing company, then mm. you tend to follow suit, right? Yeah. So, and, and they actually have programs to to bring in uh, family members into the organization. So family-based initiatives, FBIs, I love mm. an acronym, as you know, um, <laughs> is what are you doing as a manager or leader, even at a departmental level or as an organizational level, yeah. to, to, to make to include the fam- family members of your employees? Now, I know a lot of, t- not of organizations do the summer barbecue mm. or invite the partners to the Christmas night out or whatever yeah. it might be, and that goes a long way. But you know, what else can you do to uh, actually engage the family uh, in what their partner does? As an example of this, it doesn't always have to be, fancy day out or, mm. a, or a Christmas party. Yeah. You know, we, we deploy at T2 flexible working hours in, yes. in, in, yeah. in the, in the, in the concept of, I don't really dictate the start and finish time of the employees here. Mm. I say you, you do it around your own commute and your own regime. You know, yeah. you either get, if you're an early bird, like you Spence, yeah. you prefer to get up early because you are up early, yeah. get on the road, beat the traffic and be here for 7am. Right. Yeah. But it means that maybe come, half three four you're mm. done right yeah. you, you want to you equally want to some claire for example who works here she does the school run in the morning so she's mm. not going to get here till nine yeah etc so we we operate that what we also create is complete flexibility around sports days yeah uh, dental appointments mm. doctor's appointments school trips you yeah. know whatever it might be so you mm. can have that much needed time you know let's face it you, you very rarely you want to get a few chances to watch your kids on sports day, right? Yeah. So if it's in working hours and you go, you go. Mm. So by doing that, I think what you're doing or what it does for us, if you think about it, is it it, it engages our extended family in a way where they really appreciate that yeah. of the employer. So yes. when I ask you, Spencer, as a senior consultant in mm. Trans2 to go away for three or four days yeah. and deliver a project to a customer, yeah. Your wife Sharon yeah. is is more than okay with that because she she gets you when she needs you yeah. in other points of the year. Yeah. Now that's an example from us personally yeah. of how you're you're creating <clears throat> a, a social element, an interpersonal relationship based element mm. of your organisation. Mm. And FBIs or family based initiatives is is a really good way to do that. Yeah. So if I may, uh, I. Totally, I totally get and I totally appreciate what you've said. But right now, I'd like to play devil's advocate. Okay. Shock. <laughs> so, 
yeah, we've got people listening to this uh, quite, um, they're not of a fixed mindset. They're quite open. They're quite uh, quite open to development. Uh, they're quite willing to listen to other theories, maybe not take them at face value, but they could inform a, a, a sort of a, a journey for them. And, and yeah, I want to go down here and I want to have a look at this and see how it can benefit my workforce and ultimately my organization. But there's people out there that's going to go, why? I've, I employ people to do a job. They come in, they do the job, they get paid, they go home. Yeah. Why should I put myself through all the trauma of organizing stuff that they probably won't appreciate anyway? They don't, they're not interested in this, that, and the other. You know, the fixed mindset uh, people who are usually um, at the head or in the, in the sort of a, a, an executive management team of a company that may not be failing, but are very not progressing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it is devil's advocate, but it's a great question because, you know, there will be people out there and it's a generational thing to an extent, but there will be people out there who, who say, well, what's the problem, right? Mm. You've got, you've got a job. I pay you to do that job. You come to work, you do your job. I'm not paying you to socialize yeah. and I'm not paying you to, you know, to, to work in a, in a fun open plan office <laughs> and and have fun with everybody. Yeah. Um, so you get here, you know, in my day, you, you come to work, you crack on with your job, you go home, you get yeah. paid. Right. And, you know, I, I understand that to an extent because as a leader of a business myself, you want productivity. You want the ultimate end game. You yeah. want the business to be successful. Yeah. You want to grow the business. You want to delight your customers and you want to keep everybody in jobs. Mm. Right. So you, you can get caught up in that transactional mindset of, yeah, I'm paying you to do a job. Not, you know, you, you put up with anything else. But I would ask people to, if I was going to answer that question, I'd have to maybe split it into into two things I want people to consider. Mm. The first thing I would say is, if you go back two million years and you look at us as a species, as Homo sapiens, we're an animal, right? Mm. We foraged the earth for millions of years. We never really evolved. We never progressed much. Mm. We foraged either individually or in very small groups. Uh, we were at the bottom of the food chain or not quite at the bottom, but we were in the middle somewhere and uh, we never really progressed. And then something happened. We discovered fire. We discovered how to use fire to cook our food, our meat that we mm. caught. And all of a sudden then Homo sapiens back then had really big intestines because we couldn't, we was eating raw food really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what happened is when we started to cook our food, we started to be able to digest it much efficiently, mm. much more efficiently and quicker. Yeah. So our intestines shrank over mm. a period of time. Our uh, nutrients and blood flow and everything uh, uh, changed. Our brains grew. Mm. We started developing a logical side of our brains. And mm. then the cognitive revolution, they call it, mm. we started to learn how to use fire to make tools. Mm. We, we learned how to use tools to hunt, how to build build buildings how to mm. so all of a sudden we started very quickly uh you know evolving mm. uh, and then we hit the agricultural revolution which mm. is we found out that once we could go to the top of the food chain we could now use the tools and the knowledge that we gained to start farming mm. when we could farm we could harvest huge amounts of crops and food sources mm. to last us three to six months at a time. Yeah. It also meant we could sustain larger groups of people yeah. in an environment at one time, mm. which is why uh, communities started evolving yeah. and collaborating. And when communities started evolving and collaborating, the rest is history. Yes. Right? You yeah. got a scientific revolution, industrial revolution, and we now sit here today in the digital revolution. Mm. So it, why am I telling you that story and why is that important? We did very little for millions of years in isolation. Mm. The minute we 
could sustain a community of individuals in a social ecosystem, we are fast forwarded in maybe a hundred thousand years to where we are today. Yeah. And that is the power of social ecosystems and collaboration. And that is why if you want a productive environment, mm. you people working in isolation or in small groups are mm. nowhere near gonna be as productive as a collective. Yeah. If you get it right. Yeah. And that's the first sort of scientific reason I would give you. Mm. The second thing I've got to I've got to sort of say is think about the generation who's in generations who are in the workplace today, but the future generations coming through. Mm. A lot of people talk about millennials and millennials get a hard time, right? Mm. But people misunderstand what a millennial is. Yeah. Millennials are people born after 1980. Yeah. So people up to 36 years old mm. at the present day, they're already in the workplace, sometimes in positions of leadership and command. Yeah. And, you know, yes, you've got the younger end of the millennial uh, generation who, mm. are, who are, the, but, but you've got some established people. Yeah. Generation Z are coming through after the millennials. And this is this is what people seem to mistakenly refer to as millennials, yeah. isn't it, in, yeah. in popular Yeah, the uh, millennials social... of today. Well, Generation Z, therefore, is uh, anybody who was born at the turn of the millennium. Yeah. So 18, 16, 17, 18-year-olds now are Generation yeah. Z. Yeah. Now, these are the people who have grown up with technology. These yeah. are the people who are, are have grown up in a completely different area under the digital revolution. Yeah. So they are the future of the workplace with millennials slowly but surely taking up the positions of, of hierarchy and command, yeah. right? So... Um, when you look at those two generations, they have more choice in the workplace and mm. in the marketplace now than ever yeah. as a result of technology, as a result of um, the way the workplace works these days. For example, two generations prior, you were pretty restricted by location to yeah. where you worked. Yeah, There was no homeworking. There was no uh, technology that allowed you to collaborate and communicate from different lo- from many mm. different locations via the, via the telephone, mm. other than the telephone and fax, yeah. right? So you tended to work for the companies within your area. So companies had a lot of choice of the talent within their areas. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... You fast forward to today, though, you can mm. work for anybody, anywhere, with mm. anything. You know, companies are competing for the talent like never before. Yeah. And because Generation Z and Millennials have more choice, you can't just afford to take the standpoint of, well, you come here, I pay you a wage. What's the problem? Yeah. If you don't like it. Yeah. Well, okay, then. Yeah. We, we you know, the average, uh, I think the average tenure of a, of a, of a job in the modern days, about three and a half years right. average, and then mm. people move on. Mm. Uh, it's not so long back when I first looked at this stat that it was seven years. It's yeah. halved in the space of probably five to ten years. Right. Okay. So if people are spending three and a half years and and move are moving on, you mm. know, in, in employment these days, then you want to get a good three and a half years out of them, mm. or you want to engage them in such a way that they want to stay longer. Yeah. Right. So. It is changing. The landscape's changing. And what I'm saying around placing an importance on environment and and social ecosystems and the way people collaborate and family-based initiatives is because you want to attract the best talent. Mm. And to do that, you want to be able to be providing the right environment where the younger generations Mm. can flourish. And um, yeah, and that's how I'd answer. So two two, two parts of that. It's scientifically proven in history Mm. that we deliver greater productivity and results as, as communities and groups. Yeah. And young people have more choice than ever. So you've, got to, you've got to fight for that. Yeah. And as you're going about, uh, you, you talk about attracting the right talent. If you don't treat them 
favourably. I'm uh, obviously I'm, I'm talking about the w- within this social ecosystem. Um, it's retaining that talent as well. Mm. Uh, and if you don't retain the talent, where does the talent go? Your competitors. Yeah. So if you uh, uh, if you're not retaining your talent, then they're going to go to people who you're actually competing with in the marketplace. Yeah, and and it's a really interesting point because although people have more choice than ever and people are moving jobs quicker than ever mm. in terms of tenure, people do still seem to stay in the same industries. Yeah. So, uh, the, of course, there's exceptions to the rule where people completely reinvent their career five years in and they go from being, you know, an engineer in a factory yeah. to a salesperson in a technology company, right? Yeah. It, it's yeah. known. But generally, once people build the skill set and the traits and the experience mm. in a certain arena, yeah. although they move every three and a half years, they tend to move within ish industry, which yeah. you're right, which is yeah. right for you. Yeah. You're always at risk of losing your talent to, to the competition. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think... I think you've got to you've got to really think about this, um, and what are you doing to allow your your employees to build meaningful relationships in the workplace? If you've got friends, true friends in mm. the workplace, not just colleagues, mm. right? Um, you you tend to be more fulfilled, feel more safe, mm. feel like you've got people around you, mm. um, and that is a really important element yeah. within the workplace, mm. right? Um, you know, too often, too many people on, you know, you've mentioned it once about the Sunday evening meme. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you only have to look on Facebook on a Sunday evening at the amount of posts yeah. that are dr- people dreading going to work the next day. Yeah. Can't believe the weekend's gone so fast. Yeah. Not looking forward to this. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, I've had to set the alarm clock again. Yeah. You know? I find that fascinating because I love what I do. Mm, yeah. I, I, I'm, I my wife's listening to this, she'll probably <laughs> smile because we talk about it all the time, but I look, I'm sat there smiling on a Sunday evening thinking about what I'm going to achieve the next day. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. not everybody's like that. No. But why? Why is not everybody like that? Well, mm. sometimes people are in the wrong jobs. Mm. Um, but most of the time, I would say it's the cultures, the environment, the leadership uh, that we are providing that makes them disengaged. Mm. And we've got to take some ownership over that. <clears throat> I think you mentioned a couple of days ago uh, a quote from, uh, was it Richard Branson, about um, yeah. your, cust- your, your, your employees are as important as your customers? Yeah, because the old adage of customer is king. Yeah. Uh, always please the customer, but very few organisations speak, deal with, collaborate with their employees as they would a customer. Yeah. Whereas Richard Branson's philosophy, wasn't it, was, no, 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 you treat your employees well and yeah. in turn they will delight your customers. Yes. Yeah. And I guess there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Martin, thank you very much indeed for that. A good insight into uh, the canteen effect, social uh, ecosystems and and everything else. Yeah, well, that wasn't too bad. It was all right, wasn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thanks, Ben. Enjoyed that. I think we'll do it again sometime. Maybe I'll come at you with a question next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And yeah, I guess... Uh, for anybody listening to this, leaders or managers, go and reflect on it. Think about it. You may not have the power as uh, as a as a board level decision maker or somebody who can completely transform an environment or an office space or whatever it might be. But what can you? What I'd ask you to do is, what can you do at a team level? Yeah. What can you do to allow people to build meaningful relationships, to socialize, to build trust based relationships, uh, and engage them in a way? Um, that will drive greater productivity. And if you're struggling with the answers for any of those uh, questions you're asking yourself, check out some of the pathways. You might find some uh, thought-provoking statements and answers in some of the pathways. Absolutely, yeah. Cheers. Good.
Cheers, Spence. See you for the next uh, T2 Hubcast. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. See you soon.